Best of Times live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity, helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times, your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only news magazine and radio show for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Do thank you for listening to our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel application on their Apple or Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana neighbors, Tony Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn some strategies to offer, to ask for, and to accept help from others. So stay tuned to the show for some very interesting information for you and your loved ones. It is Saturday, July the 16th, and we are broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show is not live and has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the July issue, the best of times, in one of our 270 distribution locations. We do thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a printed copy at one of our 270 distribution locations, you can always visit our popular website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues of our magazine. Actually, you can view the past issues for the past four years. In addition, you can view and download the 2022 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, you can listen to previously broadcast shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. We still have some great news to present. Ernest Arlene's has brought back the Best of Times special dinner every Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to closing with fabulous meals at highly discounted price of only $25. There's live entertainment and valet parking. It is highly recommended due to the popularity of this Thursday night special Best of Times at Ernest to make your reservations by calling 318-226-1325. Again, that's 226-1325. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're with our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Ebos in the country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A-Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas. I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is Miss Deborah Grayson Regal, who is an MSW, a coach, a speaker, author, and consultant, and she has authored many educational books, including one entitled Go to Help. 
And I've asked Deborah to come today to, on our show to provide us some, with some insight about this book and some of the detailed strategies which she advocates uh, how one should offer help, ask for help, or how to accept help. So thank you, Deborah, to, for taking time to join us here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. I'm happy to be here with you. I want to tell my listeners, I've, I've read her book a few months ago. And I did find it quite informative and useful. I do advocate my radio listeners out there to pick up a copy. You can pick it up by going to her website, which is uh, gotohelpbook.com. All together, same, gotohelpbook.com. Or you can pick it up on amazon.com. And the name of the book is Go to Help by Deborah Grayson Regal. Is it right? Regal or Rigal? It is Regal, and I have to give a shout-out to my co-author, my daughter Sophie Regal, who wrote this book with me. Okay, yeah. I noticed that. I didn't know. I'm sure it was a relative, but I said, you know, let her bring that up. And um, it's good to have them, good to have the family connection there working on things, right? Absolutely. Well, I I guess it depends. It depends on how well you work together. This is the second book that we've co-written together, so we knew after the first one that uh, we could make this work, and I can't imagine writing a book with with anyone else. She's a great partner. So, so Deborah, tell tell our listeners a little bit about your background. I mean, I mentioned that you're, you know, MSW, uh, Master's of Social Worker, right? You're a social worker at heart. And you still practice social work? Yeah, well, exactly. No, I've actually never practiced social work, which is funny. So when I, I, uh, a little bit about my background. So I grew up in, in New York City. And in high school, I was really looking for a competitive team to join. But I don't have an athletic bone in my body. <laughs> so I, as I was looking for a team to join, I realized that my high school had a speech and debate team, which really only required me to be athletic from the neck up, and I just absolutely fell in love with uh, public speaking, presentation skills, writing to speak, and I spent every day after school learning the art and science of public speaking, learning uh, how to compete against other people. I spent my weekends traveling around North America, and I spent my uh, my summers at speech camp, which I know is a very nerdy thing to say. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm a nerdy kind of person. After, I'm a nerdy kind of person. Hey, there have to be us. There, there can't be everybody that's super perfect, but you know, like, like, like some of those guys. We do, we do. For sure. So we, uh, so that's what I did. Um, And my junior and senior year of high school, I got to compete at the national championship. Wow. My junior year of high school, I lost to a very fierce competitor whose name is. uh, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh. She was my comp- competitor my junior year, and then she was a senior, so she graduated. And my senior year, I won the national championship in uh, my event. And helping people become better communicators, better presenters, more thoughtful communicators has been a part of my life since I started competing at 14 and then started teaching it professionally at 17. I did get a degree in psychology. I did get a degree in social work. But ultimately, what I loved was training and development. I ended up going to coaching school, and that's uh, that's what I've been doing uh, for the past almost twenty years. Wow, well, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, 
history. I hope you've written all that down for your daughter and other people that you can pass and it down from Jim. Gen- more times than they care to. Well, Deborah, it's important. That's one thing I advocate. I, I meet people all the time, and I tell them you got to you got to write your family stories and and your your involvement, your experience. I mean. Uh, I've been doing it for years, all the different things I've done. And, and you know, p- when I meet with people, I said, does, does, it, does your family know you did this? No. Do, is it important? I said, I thought it was fascinating. I'm sure your family members are going to think it's fascinating. But you know, please either tell them. He said, well, maybe I have, but they forgot about it. It was years ago. But, you know, I, I tell people before you pass, you need to do that before you, at least you have the time now to do it. So what was the impetus in writing this book? After all your consulting and presentation, you decided to put it down to put it down to, to strategies that people could take away with, right? Yeah, so this is actually my ninth book. Uh, so um, I would like to say both, so you're getting me halfway through my writing career, but when I'm feeling less energetic, I'll say you're getting me at the end of my writing career. Uh, but this book, this book, as I mentioned, is the second book that my daughter Sophie and I wrote together, and it's actually a really related to the first book that we wrote together, which was called Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame Anxiety for Work, School, and Life. And we wrote that one about our own experiences with anxiety and how we cope with it. We wrote that one, and it came out about six minutes before the pandemic, uh, which was uh, very good timing from a marketing perspective, but terrible timing for anybody who got sick. And one of the topics that we covered in our first book and that as we went out and did a lot of speaking and consulting and coaching, one of the topics from that first book that people kept coming back to was the idea of becoming health fluent. And what we mean by that is that most people have one or two ways of offering help, and they typically look like, hey, let me tell you how to fix it, or why don't you step aside and let me fix it for you? Uh, and most people actually don't need either of those. And so we felt strongly that we could help people build a vocabulary, a wide range of ways in which they could help people, which is also a wide range of ways in which they could request help for themselves. And the other aspect of your book is you 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 give so many people strategies in dealing with it. I mean, you just just what you said, asking help can be tricky, and it it could um, it could get a little uh, uh, a little battling back and forth by the minds, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's um, you're not always sure what to do, and so you rely on your strongest muscles. I always think about you know telling somebody what to do or doing it for them, like our biceps and our quads, right? They're their strongest muscles. But asking somebody, hey, would you like me to empathize with you? Do you want me to brainstorm with you? Do you want me to just sit back and listen while you talk? Those are sort of our triceps, our deltoids. And I'll call it our trapezoids because that's what came to mind, which don't get as much workout for other helping muscles. That that is, that is true about that. So, so the your you the, your your first chapter talks about review and reflecting, right? And, and review and reflecting what you your your overall purpose. And I love it when you started off. You mentioned about the pandemic, and you know we're we're two years into it. You might say. Um, March of 2020. I remember that month pretty pretty succinctly. Things did change throughout the world, yeah. and uh, that was a challenge for you as well, as you mentioned. Right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
it, it was, it was, I remember that, you know, from March to April of 2022, I mean, I make my living as a speaker, right? I'm constantly on the road and I just sat there at my computer every day watching the cancellations come in. That was my full-time job was watching things get canceled. Uh, and I realized that there were a bunch of us who were probably in similar situations that maybe needed to figure out how we can help each other through these hard times. Uh, and we saw people in our lives and in our communities asking for help in ways they never anticipated needing to do so. So, hey, could you help me figure out how to teach math to my kids? Hey, could you figure out how to help me get find a vaccination appointment? Can you help me find where the toilet paper is? Right. These are not things that we are used to asking for help about. That's right. And, of course, uh, the, the major thing about consultants, I mean, I do that part-time, too, back then. You, just, you know, we stopped publishing our paper because we couldn't – our magazine, our monthly magazine was printed in Dallas instead of where I live in Shreveport. And so we had to think of a quick relief, and luckily we had an online presence, and luckily that you know, made us survive, and thousands more went to our website to, to review it and uh, to read it. So you have to adapt very quickly, and I got help from people to – to explain that to I mean, the other thing you're using it too, I'm sure, Zoom presentations by consultants. I've, I've, I've probably participated since March of 2000, uh, probably 150, 200 Zoom meetings, Zoom presentations, et cetera. So we, we've gone into the Zoomer. For sure. That's my whole life now. And I made Zoom presentations. We had Zoom conferences, et cetera, et cetera. I'm happy to get back to live in-person things. So we're, you know, gradually getting back into that. But... Uh, we hope, I'm still positive, hopefully we won't go back to the norm of not being able to have that in person as well. So Yeah, I'd like to have a little bit of both. That's, that's important. So, so tell us, again, your, 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 your thoughts about it. You gleaned, gleaned a lot from, from your experience. And so you wanted to put this down in, in paper to share that and that the purpose of this particular book is to, to and it's it's a teaching yeah, so it's a teaching book too i mean it's not just it a narrative a book. so yeah right exactly so it's it's the first part of the book is helping people understand uh what makes it hard to ask for help what makes it hard to accept help and what makes it hard for us to think creatively in offering help to other people and including some sub-variants of those topics like what do you do when you're trying to help somebody who doesn't want your help, which, of course, for any of us with grown and growing kids uh, or oh, yeah. aging parents is certainly something, you know, that, that we deal with. And the second part of the book are the 31 strategies that fall into five categories, different ways in which you can offer help, develop your helping skills, which then is also, also a menu of expanding the kind of help you think you might need. So thought, it's foundational, then followed by instructional. Well, I uh, I um, found one important section because I'm a particular yes person a lot, but I've used your several ways to say no assertively to request for your help. People always ask me, and sometimes, you know, I, I love some of your statements, uh, and I'm, I'm, I've used them, by the way, uh, after I've got your book a couple of months ago. One of them is, I'm so flattered that you asked me. But unfortunately, I can't at this time, right? That's that's what if you're, yeah. you're, you're, I love it. I mean, very few people have, they either say abruptly no or look at you, you know, in a, in a nasty way. Uh, 
Yeah, I, look, I use that all the time, and I am genuinely flattered when somebody asks me to help them with something, to advise them with something. I can't say yes to everything. Uh, however, I am genuinely flattered that somebody believes I've got some some way of being helpful. And and you mentioned she again, listeners. Uh, she goes in a very didactic uh, analysis. I'm just giving you a quick example. We can't go in our you know 45 minutes of talk time here. But I love one of the statements, which is important. Is you know determine if you're able to do it. Some people ask you something, and really you're going to say, I have no experience, I have no knowledge, etc. It's it's that's that's a, it's don't. Hedge around it, right, Deborah? Don't hedge around it. Yeah. And don't don't say you can do it. You know, can you operate on me? You know, hey, I'm not a brain surgeon. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. right? But I've had some people say, you know, can you treat my wound? And I was a home health care administrator. I said, no. I had experts. I had clinicians. <laughs> I was the administrator. Um, you know, I might could do it, but you don't want to get me to do it. I mean, in a desperate situation, right. exactly. I'm on a deserted island in the Caribbean, and we have a wound. Yeah, I might can do something. I, I will definitely take those. But, you know, uh, and I, again, I mentioned one person um, when I was on a cruise ship. Um, this doctor said, oh, you're a home health care minister. You can help me. I said, excuse me, doc. I'm not a, I'm not a clinician. <laughs> he says, you can be. Right. Right. You can be. Know the limits. Know the limits of your health. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, and you say that in so many words in there, which a lot of people don't quickly think. A lot of them say, yeah, yeah. And then they're, you know, stamming when they're, they're given the task, right? And that, and you say, yeah. you say that in your book. You, you're accepting, but you can't fulfill that acceptance. And that gets to be. That's right. And, and that's when we get ourselves. When we keep saying yes and we keep saying yes to things that we can't do, shouldn't do, or really don't want to do, we end up taking on more than we should, which means that then we need help from other people to help figure out all the priorities we have said yes to when, in fact, some of them are priorities and some of them aren't. Well, I I'm, I'm hate to bring this topic. I don't really talk about politics or religion, but, you know, it's it's I, I question sometimes politicians when they say, yes, I can do this. Yes, I can do this. You know, yes, I can change the budget. And, and uh, yes, I can, you know, end the war, et cetera. I mean, what? You might lead to it, but you're not going to have the power to do it immediately, if not sooner. Is that true? They think they have the everybody. Uh, sometimes yeah. they think they have the power to do it immediately at the touch of a button. And, and my listeners know, I'll disclaim here. I have a son-in-law, which is a United States congressman. So uh, you know, he he himself, point blank, he said, I don't have that much influence. I can express my views and vote the vote the scenario, but I don't have that you know the complete power to make the complete turnover like some of his constituents ask him to do. You know, he sometimes he w, w tells them, yeah, I agree with your. Position. Position, but there's no way that I can uh, can can force it through. I mean, uh, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, you're you're often describing what is characterized as campaign promises, uh, <laughs> and anybody who votes for anyone should know a campaign promise when they see one. I would advise people not to make campaign promises about what they can do to help, uh, because. Uh, you will not get reelected. Uh, but also, if you know that somebody tends to make campaign promises to you, they may not be the person you want to ask for help. So, um, 
Hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel. Proudly presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors. Turning country to Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Abears, Sunday Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Miss Deborah Grayson Regal, who is an MSW, a coach, a speaker, author, and consultant, and who has authored many educational books, including the one we're discussing today, Go to Help. And I've asked her to provide us with some insight about this book and some of the some of those detailed strategies which she advocates how one should offer help, how to ask for help, and how to accept help. So thank you, Deborah, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Happy to be with you. So I, I think an important point, I'm trying to get my, my listeners, I'm, I'm advocating for you, Deborah. so I always, I always tend to, when I have uh, consultants and experts on my show, to, to read what they present and, 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 and advocate to my listeners out there who, like I hate to, I'm humble. They appreciate that, and will go out and either purchase it or, you know, do it online or whatever it's called, the electronic stuff. Um, download the e-books and all that kind of things. Even some of my seniors and boomers are doing more of that lately. I still like hard copies, but more of my seniors and and boomers that I deal with. Oh yeah, I I I downloaded that copy from Amazon. Really, I'm impressed. Well, I have to tell you, I I was completely committed to uh, books on paper. I'm the daughter of a book publisher, right? So, I mean, books on paper were were what what raised me. And the first time that I used an electronic reader was when I was going to China for a month. (laughs) And I knew that I would have to pack an entire suitcase of books in order for me to to keep me occupied. And so a friend of mine lent me her e-reader, and the fact that I was able to get a month of books into something, you know, the size of a pad of paper was very relieving. So I tend to buy business books on paper, and I buy my fun books, uh, uh, you know, over Kindle. Uh, very, very similar to what my wife does, but still, you know. Uh, so, did you hate to get a sidetrack tangent? Gary does a lot of tangents. So, why did you go to China for consulting or just a visit? Yeah, so I spent five semesters teaching at the Beijing International MBA program at Peking University wow. in China. So, I taught uh, management leadership communication there uh, for international students, a significant population of them were Chinese as well, but really this is, uh, I think, one of the top business schools in in Asia and certainly the top business school in China, so we had people awesome. who came from around the world. But tell our listeners, I've been to China too, about the majority of the Chinese students speak English. Mandarin is first, but number two language most of them know is English, correct? Absolutely, yes. So most of them speak English. It is something that is taught to them early on. Um, and, you know, I, I speak, I work with a lot of non-native English speakers, both here in the United States as well as around the world. And non-native English speakers are often very um, 
self-conscious about their accent and about their vocabulary. They're often translating, in, you know, from a, in, in their head from their native language in, into English. And I remind them that most people in America are pretty impressed with somebody who has been speaking a second language for a long time. I mean, I speak one language and then a tiny little bit of a bunch of other languages, but nothing that I would be able to actively present in. And so I remind them that what they are doing is commendable and impressive and that any gaps in uh, in pronunciation or vocabulary is much more noticeable to them than to us. Well, that's, that's impressive. You know, I was impressed with them. Just to give you a quick tangent about my father. My father is from the old country, from from Greece and Romania, but he spoke seven mm. languages fluidly. Seven. Amazing. English was his last one, so he did translate everything from either Greek or Romanian to English. He learned, picked up English when he came to America in 1940, but, you know, he did have an accent, but, you know, he could speak fluently, and including German and Japanese and and uh, a number of other languages that he was very fluent in and could write. So he picked it up over the years uh, on his travels throughout the world on a merchant marine. So but he wanted to be proficient in all those languages and be able to write. So he came to America, and, and he couldn't believe when he came to America that, Hardly anybody spoke a, a, different, a second language unless they came from the, the countries, unless they came from China, Japan, or or from from Europe. So uh, he he was he was totally amazed. He was telling me when I was growing up that uh, he wanted me. So I learned a little Greek, uh, very little Romanian, but uh, but still you know keep it up a little bit. But we have no family members that speak it much, so you have to practice. So so let's go back to your book. Your 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 book. Will entitle will give readers whenever they read this they're gonna they're gonna it's gonna give them help to inspire others to learn and grow so expand upon that a little bit. Uh, sorry, say that again. Which part am I expanding on? I got excited for so many opportunities to expand. <laughs> so the offer to, to inspire you said this book will help readers to inspire others to learn and to grow and. That's one of the aspects you mentioned, and to overcome emotional bar- barriers in asking for help, which I thought was very good. You you mentioned that throughout uh, many places yeah. in the book. So one one of the things that uh, the research tells us is that we start to associate asking for help, right? The and, and the admission that I can't do this myself or I don't know everything myself. Starting at about age seven, we start to make the connection between asking for help and reputational costs, right? That, oh, if I'm asking for help, it may look to somebody like, I don't know what I'm doing. They may think I'm less credible. They may think I'm less smart. They may think I'm less capable. And so when you think about that, right, so I am significantly older than seven. I have had 40-plus years of those neural pathways running through my head telling (laughs) me that asking for help will cost me some part of my reputation. However, when you don't ask for help, you are much more likely to get it wrong, do it wrong, uh, do a preventable, you know, commit a preventable error, something that is much more likely to actually damage your reputation than asking for help would. And people have possibly been there, done that, right? And that's where you learn from their experiences. Well, they failed. Absolutely. Oh, not other people, me, right? I have not written about a single thing that I haven't experienced myself. 
and so I am definitely one of those folks who is likely to say, uh, you know, likely to feel like, how will people think of me, right? I'm an expert on things. How will people think of me if I'm admitting that I don't know how to do something? And I figured the best way to get over that was to write a book admitting I don't know a lot of things, um, <laughs> but I have a network of people who are really good at being able to help. Real good experts at that. Another important chapter, which I think a lot of my listeners out there, if they were in the employment world even currently, is that – you, you get that feeling you want to do it all yourself. You don't want to delegate. And you, you go into elaboration about that. And you shouldn't do it, as you mentioned. You shouldn't do everything all yourself, right? No. I, that, I mean, look, that's, uh, that is the way that people get burnt out, the way that people get sick, uh, the way that other people become completely dependent on you, and the way that nobody else in your life learns how to do things. So I think about delegation as an opportunity for somebody else to learn and develop some skills, an opportunity for you to indicate to somebody else that you trust them and you believe in them, uh, and it's an opportunity for you to hand over ownership, maybe not completely, not all at once, but for you to hand over ownership to somebody else so that you can co-own it, or maybe they become the owner of it, and that way you can take on other things that you really should be doing with your time and energy. That that is so important, but I I feel that I, I haven't been in the the corporate world now, but in the in the past, more and more managers uh, didn't do that. Uh, more and more managers felt that they were so insecure if they delegated anything and delegated some of their responsibilities out that they wouldn't be showing to make their big salaries. So that that, that was the stum. The, 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 the backdrop of some of those. Today, it probably is a little bit different, but I have a feeling a lot of people raise their hands when managers say, I'm going to delegate this task to someone. And too many people in the room raise their hands. Is that true? Um, I don't know. I haven't found that to be true, that too many people raise their hands. I think it depends on what's being delegated, right? So if a manager is delegating something that feels like busy work, something that feels like, part of a project rather than somebody being able to take out a whole project and really sink their teeth into it. If it's something where people uh, don't understand how that fits into the big picture, and if it's something that gets delegated without a conversation about how that person is expected to also manage their other priorities, we don't see a lot of hands being raised. What can positively impact the likelihood that somebody will say, yes, I'll take that on, is for you to explain exactly what you're delegating and why you are delegating it to them, right? So that could be, I really want you to learn this because you're going to need it as you grow in your career. This project is going to give you visibility, and I want you to have that for yourself. Um, this is something that I think you really um, would benefit from learning, uh, and it would really help the team. So articulating why and why you and the benefits of it can make people much more likely uh, to say yes to something. And, and that's a critical thing. I hope my listeners are hearing that. I, I'm going to give you a personal life experience myself. I had a great and loving yeah. manager there when I was very young, and and he, you know, he said, and he would always delegate me certain tasks, and uh, I would say yes to everything. I mean, and some are more small, some are big, but you never knew the rest of the story. And sometimes and one day he one day he delegated me to attend a, a meeting at a corporate location, and he, I said, "Do you know anything about it?" No, it's everybody's 
supposed to come, all the senior managers throughout the, the United States supposed to come. Okay, you don't want to go? He says, no, i got a fishing trip uh, planned. I want you to go there. for. I'm it ended up being a very critical meeting, and I had to track him down on the fishing trip down in South Louisiana to tell him how critical it was. And I was, of course, the youngest uh, person at this table, but also the, the least in seniority. And they asked me to make a lot of interesting decisions. I have to pass the puck. I, I didn't think I had the power to say these kind of things. So it was eye-opening experience. I came back. He was proud of what I was doing there. But, of course, his bosses were a little upset, you know. But, but the, the rebuttal was they didn't tell him the agenda. They didn't tell him. They said you are to come down on a certain date and time. And that, you know, uh, it was it was two-way communication, you might say. But that was a shocker for Understood. me. And I'm the low, lowly yeah. person there. And it was like. Whoa! What should I do? And I had to make quick decisions. I mean, I had to I had to think out the box, and that was before cell phones, and you know, to track them down by regular phone, and it was over with in a couple of hours, and you know, I had to fly back. So, uh, what what could I say? So let's. And, go. and how did you feel? How did you feel as a result of that? Well, I. I felt terrible at first. I mean, when I came back, I was I was saddened, and my boss was proud of me. He was not saddened. He, he said, "Well, I'm glad I sent you, uh, you know, but I, you know, probably I should have been there." But but I I was like devastated in a way that. Uh, but I respected him. But sometimes he never asked details. He was not a detail person. I'm a detail person. I want to know. Mm. I, I'm an right now. I make a list. I, I have an engineering degree, so I'm a person, a kind of list kind of person, agenda kind of person. I want to know as much detail about what's going to happen uh, in advance. You know, I can go out, I can go out some tangents, but I like a little bit of scripted. I like a little bit of, of organization involved. But that, you know, that was unscripted, unannounced, unprepared for. So you never know. So you got to be prepared for those. Understood. Kind of you got you got to be prepared, and hopefully you have the kind of relationship, or one would have the kind of relationship where uh, you know somebody would be able to talk after that, you know, after that experience, and say, "Hey, if you're going to give me things to do again, here's what would really set me up for success next time." And 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 one one of the ways in which that relates to what Sophie and I write about in the book is that if you want to become better at helping other people, one thing that you can do is to ask them, what have I done in the past that you found particularly helpful? And what have I done in the past where I might have been trying to help, but it actually didn't land as helpful? So gathering feedback about how helpful you are um, is really, really useful. Yeah, and I like one of your statements that says, when you don't ask for help, people make assumptions. And you might mention that. Elaborate on that one. I thought that yeah. was good. Yeah. So when when you don't ask for help, people make a wide range of assumptions. So they make assumptions like, well, you must have it handled, so you must not need help. They make assumptions that you don't trust me to help. Uh, they make assumptions that you don't believe I'm capable of helping. Uh, they make assumptions that, whoa, I kind of thought our relationship was there, but you didn't. What am I misunderstanding about our relationship? So I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have needed help and not asked. And the people around me were very hurt that I had not asked them for help. You know, that's the thing you're you're hurting people when when you're, you're not when you're not doing that. So uh, uh, hopefully, more and more people will be. Uh, let's let's hold the hold the thought and come right back, and we'll talk about some of your 31. We're not going to be able to talk about all of them, but we want everybody to pick up the book. So. Uh, 
Hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now, a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, Southern Country Road Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, Southern Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is Deborah Grayson Regal, who is a MSW coach, speaker, author, and consultant, and she's discussing her book, Go to Help. Fabulous book. I suggest you pick it up at Amazon or log on to Amazon to get a copy or an e-copy of e-book. Uh, you can go to her fabulous website at www.gotohelpbook.com. So thank you, Deborah, for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Part of her book, everyone, has, and it's very, uh, I mean, we're talking, we're not talking a 25-page book. We're talking over 230 pages of detailed information, examples, and I, I found it quite fascinating. But she goes into, I would say, an elaborate discussion of 31 uh, suggestions or helpful strategies, and she divides up in get curious, offer support, give direction, plan and execute, and evaluate and celebrate, right? That you got it. Good memory. Uh, so the, the other aspect, I want, let's touch on, well, this is a hard one. You're probably going to be difficult. Can you pick out five of the most critical ones you think my listeners would love to hear about? Uh, oh, I, that's asking me to choose among my children. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I'm, I will pick. I will pick five. Um, I'm looking at them now. But why don't we start at the top, and then we'll see. We'll see where the conversation takes us. Is okay. that fair enough? Go, go for it. Okay, great. So um, maybe I'll pick one in each category. So the first category is about getting curious. And one of the strategies that uh, can be really helpful both in offering help and asking for help is helping focus. Um, And so often when we are feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, or upset, we are just going to give like a dump. We're going to do a lot of talking, a lot of explaining. And talking and explaining is good, except that it actually gets in the way of what might need to happen next. So one of the ways that we can help people is helping them focus on what is really at the heart of this issue. So we can ask things like, you know, what's the most important part here? What part of this is within your control? Which do you want to deal with first? Um, And if we're feeling overwhelmed, we can actually ask somebody to say, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm feeling completely scattered. Could you help me think about what the most important part is that I really need to focus on? Because I can't tackle everything all at once. So that's one strategy, which is offering to help somebody focus or asking somebody to help you focus. And and and, and And, subcategories, your number, the third one, which I thought was fascinating, because I try to do that all the time, and people do it to me, is interrupt their storytelling. Their, their narrative, they may be rambling, yeah. and you get you get them, and you find, try to find the focus, but you, you, I love the word you said, strategically interrupt their story, right? 
That's right. And I, this is something that I do, uh, you know, quite a bit with my clients. My clients and I will have, you know, an hour to talk, and they will often want to spend 30 minutes of it just sort of giving me the details. Well, I actually don't need to know the details of their story because I'm probably not going to be helping them by telling them what to do or doing it for them. That is not the way that it works. And so I really want to hear from them you know, what's the most important thing? What about that feels most important to you? And, you know, where should we dig in first? Awesome. Okay, a next item, a next suggestion. Okay, although you just snuck two in there. I just want to Uh-oh. let you know. I'm, I'm happy to give you a bonus one for no <laughs> charge, but those are two of the strategies, helping focus yeah, and interrupting a story. I love it, a bonus one. I, you know, I just, I just want to keep us honest, right? That's it, that's it. Uh, Okay, so let's take something from offering support, and I'm going to start with something that is so simple that so many of us get wrong, which is empathizing. So often when somebody is having a hard time or dealing with a challenge or a dilemma, we think of empathizing as telling someone, you'll be fine, you know, this is no big deal, other people have it worse, you'll bounce back, you always do. None of those is empathizing. All of those are actually the opposite of empathizing. They are telling somebody not to feel how they're already feeling. So empathy, there are three parts of empathy. There is cognitive empathy, which would be me saying, I understand your thinking there. I understand how you would come to that conclusion, even if I wouldn't come to the same one. There is uh, emotional empathy, which is I understand that you're feeling anxious, that you're feeling upset, that you're feeling overwhelmed, even if I don't. And then the third part of empathy is called compassionate or behavioral empathy, which is, and I want to see how I can help you. So if I were to give everybody one piece of advice, it would be to stop using those toxic toxic positivity phrases like you'll be okay, other people have it worse, you'll bounce back, and start using language that demonstrates that you understand where they are rather than trying to point them in a different direction that might make you feel more comfortable. Well, that is awesome. Okay. And I did find that, 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 that strategy quite informative and useful for me. I've done some of those things, up ones and down ones, but I think I've changed uh, some of my aspects in that. And it, it, empathy is, is not making them feel sorry. Right. That's, that's what you're trying yeah. to say in so many words. Yeah, it's making them feel completely validated for the experience they're having, even if you would have a different experience. Okay. So a uh, next uh, strategy that you might want to focus in, the give direction section. Yes. Uh, All right. So I am going to uh, share a favorite one, which is number 13, do it with you or do it with me side by side. So this is something that is known uh, as body doubling. It's actually a strategy that was developed in a grassroots way by uh, the ADHD community. So people who have um, uh, uh, ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. And the idea behind this is, If you are having a hard time doing something on your own, you're feeling unmotivated, you're easily distracted, you're having trouble holding yourself accountable, one of the easiest things you can do is get yourself a quote-unquote body double. And a body double is literally somebody who will sit with you physically or virtually and hold space for you even while they do their own thing. 
space. So, for example, yesterday, uh, my son is home from college. He had a whole bunch of paperwork to, to fill out, and he, like I, um, hate paperwork. I would rather do <laughs> anything than do paperwork. And so what I said to him is, look, yeah, you have to do it. It's got to get done. Why don't you come and sit in my office? I'm going to be leading a webinar, and you sit in my office. You put your headset in, and by the time I'm done with my webinar, you should be done with your paperwork. And it was just the physical presence of another body that kept him from being distracted. Um, I wasn't supervising him, uh, but I was just wow. Great idea. Excellent idea. Okay, we got two more to get in in the next few minutes. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so I'm going to pick number 23, which is one of my favorites. I wrote it for me. <laughs> You'll notice I'm very self-centered when I write, which <laughs> is about challenge or catastrophic thinking. So uh, catastrophic thinkers tend to do one or more of three things. The first thing that catastrophic thinkers do is that they overestimate unlikely events. Right. The second thing they do is they overestimate the how horrible that unlikely event would be if it happened. And then the third thing that they do is they underestimate their resourcefulness, their ability to cope with an uh, with that event. So the very first thing you can do if you are thinking catastrophically or you are trying to help someone who is imagining the worst possible scenario is to actually break it down into those three elements and think about which one it is. Are you overestimating the likelihood of an unlikely event? Are you overestimating how awful it will be? Or are you underestimating the resources that you have available to you to deal with it? Um, and often just that alone will help people make distinctions about where they need a little bit of support. And then you can have a conversation about what is making you imagine that this unlikely thing is more likely to happen. What is getting in the way of you, you know, a, a, reaching into your resources, thinking about your resourcefulness, uh, if something like that should happen. And it can be helpful for people like me who have catastrophic thinking to rehearse, if this would happen, what would I do, and to actually have a plan in place. Awesome, awesome. So the the last one, evaluate and celebrate? Oh, evaluate and celebrate. Um, so... Evaluate and celebrate, I'm going to pick the idea of strategy 30, which is promote a pause. So, unfortunately, we are in a society that encourages us to keep going, never get up and never give up and don't stop. As a result of that, we keep going, we never give up and we don't stop, even when what we should be doing is to pause, take a break, stop and reflect before we just keep pushing forward. Excellent. So this is something that I invite people to think about is, um, is this something where you would benefit from a break, where you benefit from taking a step back and letting the back of your brain marinate on it while the front of your brain works on something else? Is this something where if you keep going, you actually are at risk of harming yourself, harming your reputation, harming your relationships? So if you are not sure, the default shouldn't be keep going. The default should be pause. Well, excellent. That That's a fantastic suggestion, everyone. There's 31 strategies. She just talked about uh, five or four, plus we had a land yap one. 
But uh, again, thank you, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. You're quite educational for me, and and I know for my thousands and thousands of radio listeners out there. So I appreciate you joining us today, taking time from your busy schedule to educate us a little bit. Again, I advocate her book. Go to her website www.gotohelpbook.com, or you can pick it up on Amazon, or you can go to the Best of Times website where I also have it featured as well. So thank you, Deborah. Best wishes to you and your daughter and and your other kids and family. And again, thank you for, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Thank you. Everyone, do please thank our sponsors and advertisers who do support our radio show and our magazine, The Best of Times. Remember to tell your friends to listen to our radio show every Saturday morning for information that might benefit them. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times in one of our 270 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Caligas, wishing you and yours the best of times, both today and every day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. for more Best of Times. This is 1017 FM and 710 Keel.